in Houston. I'm John Herter, 18th day of April. Great as always to have you along, everybody. In a nutshell, from the experts, it's a virtual networking opportunity flow accelerator, helping leaders across industries connect very quickly in a brief, moderated, interactive show format, like a TED Talk with interaction. All goes well. Curiosity spark new ideas, accelerate action. You may have helped yourself and somebody else solve a problem, make a connection, reach the opportunity faster, because we know networking has never been more important for your business. Thanks to our sponsors, Hewlett Packard Enterprise, Endeavor Institute, Unique Ventures, Ecosystems 2030, and the Canon. And to each of you individual FT members, support is vital to our continuing work. Thank you. Folks, help me welcome guest expert Trinity Lloyd. Trinity is Energy Transition and Sustainability Strategy Lead for Google, Google Cloud, responsible for aligning Google's vast inventory of sustainable assets to the ESG priorities of the world's largest corporations. Her team accomplishes this by activating ecosystems of collaboration and innovation powered by big data to identify and tackle toughest challenges, capture emerging markets, and accelerate sustainable and profitable future. With more than 25 years building successful programs of top technology companies like Dell, Cisco, and VMware, Trinity believes that doing what's right and what's profitable are not mutually exclusive. Actually, they are interdependent with one common enabler, technology. Trinity, great to have you on the show today. Group's looking forward to getting a closer look at how you guys are helping corporations reach their net zero commitments faster through your big data tech ecosystems approach. And what does it mean to our business? So on over to you. Thank you so much, John. I really appreciate uh, uh, FTE inviting me to have this conversation about something that's very near and dear to my heart that we've been working on for a while and uh, love to share with you all and hear your feedback and get some ideas and uh, continue on this journey together. So should I go ahead and, uh, and share the presentation? All right, wonderful. So let, let me get right into it then. All right, so I'm gonna take you on a brief journey um, of Google's own sustainability and energy journey, just really quickly to kind of set a frame for why we're talking about this, why we care and, and what we have to do with this conversation. So we have been working on, uh, on renewable energy goals for a while uh, and carbon neutrality. In 2007, we hit really our first milestone with carbon neutrality, and that was primarily through high quality carbon offsets. But we kept on that journey and in 2017, we, uh, we hit our 100% renewable energy match. Um, we were really pioneering uh, corporate renewable uh, power purchase agreements and in, in new ways to be able to reach that goal. Uh, and we and we kept going uh, with consecutive achievements. And in 2018, we actually became the largest corporate uh, uh, purchaser of renewable energy. Um, and uh, and I, I feel that we really kind of set a bar and really encouraged uh, some of our competitors and other technology organizations and then other corporations to to kind of go along on this journey with us. In 2020, we announced uh, the elimination of our carbon legacy back to the inception of Google. But at this same time, we announced our most auspicious and difficult goal. And that was really to achieve 24 seven carbon free energy in every region that we operate. 
And why this is important is because uh, a lot of these achievements we were able to do on our own, things that we could develop innovation and keep in-house and, uh, and, and really kind of focus on what Google does for Google. But to achieve this next goal, we really have to be able to focus on transforming the global energy supply. Um, it's something that requires collaboration and partnerships and a broader ecosystem. And so this is really where we started to kind of reach out and, and begin to understand or think about how we could accomplish these goals. Now, outside of uh, our own energy and carbon policies, what do we have to do with this conversation and how can we bring this ecosystem get together? So I want to quickly set a frame for Alphabet and our portfolio of brands. This is not comprehensive, but I wanted to give you a taste of some of the unique solutions, data sets, assets, et cetera, that we have around energy transformation. People often think about uh, Google as search uh, or Google Cloud or maybe Maps. Um, but when you look across that portfolio, you begin to see uh, a really common theme emerging. You know, we have maps and street view, which tells us really interesting things about building footprints and energy consumption, um, as well as EV infrastructure. I don't know if you know this, but you can leverage maps to identify the, the uh, least carbon intense route to take for your journey, not just how quickly you can get there, um, but you can also to identify what your EV infrastructure and where you could charge your electric vehicle on your way. There's also uh, Sunroof, which is uh, really takes rooftop solar, um, leveraging geospatial to identify what the potential yield um, or viability of that solar might be, and has really uh, brought together a, a, an incredible ecosystem for distributed solar. Um, there is, uh, there is uh, um, Google Earth Engine, which uh, supplements a lot of this geospatial data for uh, things that uh, uh, really plugged into DeepMind. DeepMind uh, developed uh, deep neural learning at uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence to predict wind and precipitation um, at, in eight hours in advance, and then integrate that into optimal market uh, trading and pricing information. Um, our uh, Google X is continuing to look across uh, the multiple moonshots around energy, but in particular, uh, one that, uh, that you may be familiar with is really focusing on taking the, our grids and transforming them, modernizing them by doing a digital twin of the entire grid system for the world. Nest, of course, has tons of amazing data associated with uh, optimizing and energy efficiency in our homes and small businesses. Uh, but you know what else? We, we can really understand energy demand based on how many Nest thermostats are out there and, uh, and how that's changing over time to build resilience. So really important data there. And then, of course, Android, which uh, uh, tells us quite a bit about EV charging demands, right, with our Google Automotive services and our vehicles. And Google Cloud really gives us a nice package on how we kind of wrap all of these different pieces together uh, and bring them to businesses and large organizations across the world. And then, of course, our own energy and location team that's been pioneering a lot of the efforts that I mentioned to you and leading that charge on our 24-7 commitment, building programs and policies and new solutions so that we can really uh, drive and support these advances. I don't know if uh, Savannah's on with us today, but Savannah's leading one of those charges. Um, and maybe she'd like to say a little something about 24-7 uh, uh, about and, and our goals there. 
Hey Trinity, yep, I'm on, thanks. Hi. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to, to give a little bit of a, a background. So hi, I'm Savannah Goodman. Um, as Trinity mentions, I lead one of our, our teams at Google that specifically works on incubating data and software solutions to enable uh, Google and our partners to achieve um, ambitious climate goals. So like Trinity has kind of been laying out, we develop a lot of uh, software and data tooling internally, and then we figure out how we can bring it to partners to activate the, the ecosystem. And so, you know, I wanna make sure we kind of take a step back and really um, think about how 24 seven is, what it means and how it's different, right? Than, um, than what we've been achieving in the past and why it's so, uh, revolutionary, I, I per se. So 24-7 carbon-free energy means we're going to match our electricity consumption in every region and every hour with clean electricity. Where in the past, as Trinity mentioned, we've been doing our 100% our, our renewable energy match, which is on a global and annual basis. And the reason we're doing this is because as a business, you know, 24-7 actually helps us more effectively eliminate our electricity carbon footprint. It really is taking it to the you know, true decarbonization. And what's exciting about it for Google is it's not just to reduce our own footprint, but it's also for accelerating the broader energy transition because 24-7 procurement um, can incentivize new technology development and accelerating fossil fuel capacity retirement on the grid. And so in order to take on this, you know, quite challenging and ambitious goal, um, you know, we've developed a three-pronged approach so first, we're innovating on new transaction models that help us procure clean energy in a scalable manner. Um, second, we're working with partners and working internally to develop and invest in new hardware and software technologies. And you could see on the last slide, Trinity shared a couple of those, you know, kind of Google-based or Google-led uh, technologies on the software side, especially. And then finally, we are engaging with other buyers, with our utilities, with local regulators to ensure that clean energy is accessible for everyone. Because again, 24 seven is not just about Google's footprint, but it's about the broader um, the broader grid system. So thanks, that's just a, a quick teaser, but happy to talk about 24 seven all day long. I can hand it back to you, Trinity. Thanks a lot, Savannah. I really appreciate your expertise and really pioneering this effort um, and sharing it with everybody. Look forward to further conversations about that. So energy transition is really about the transition of all uh, all industries, not just the energy industry, and, and how we consume and conserve energy. And there are so many massive systemic changes um, ahead of us, right? There's grid expansion and upgrades. Those are estimated to be anywhere from 65% to 5x um, increase over the next decade, just to meet the demands that we're anticipating. And we have to decarbonize our supply, as, uh, as Savannah mentioned, uh, create infrastructure for meeting these electrification demands, um, uh, to move uh, more towards a distributed model, um, accel accelerate our permitting and our regulatory processes. Um, we have to also think about how are we conserving and optimizing and building resilience into our infrastructure. The world is changing in unprecedented ways, right? We have extreme weather situations, um, heat, floods, wildfires, mudslides, uh, it's, it's getting a little hairy out there. And, uh, and we really have to be thinking about how do we build resilience into our infrastructure while we're trying to meet all of these increasing demands and transformation changes. So there is just a ton of stuff that has to, has to unpack here. And then, you know, I, I hate to mention it, but uh, COVID really uh, heightened our awareness to our supply chain challenges and raw materials uh, challenges and complexities. So there's so much to uncover. And so where can Google kind of 
really put their arms around this. I mean, Google does a lot of cool stuff, but we can't do all things. And that really speaks to what, what Savannah was talking about and I mentioned earlier. This is where um, it, it, it becomes really important for us to think broadly and outside of kind of our own innovation and channels, think about what else we can do and how we can work with a broader ecosystem. So what's interesting about uh, the energy challenges that we're facing today is that uh, even though we have 85% and really thousands of the world's uh, largest companies that have committed to a carbon neutrality goal, um, uh, just really mostly over the last few years, um, only a handful of those have been able to achieve um, their renewable energy goals. And a lot of times it's some of the more advanced technical companies uh, that have expertise or energy focused companies. So supply chain uh, interestingly account for 90% of those carbon goals for organizations, corporations, and 30% of those are estimated to uh, have to come from renewable energy procurement. So there's a lot of corporate focus um, over the last few years in, in terms of how they can source uh, clean energy, not just Google, right? And so um, why is it such a challenge that despite all of these goals and, uh, and all of this kind of focus in that area, that, uh, that organizations aren't really hitting them or not getting, uh, getting there fast enough? Well, there's a lot of issues associated with it. There's accessibility, right? And accessibility means uh, uh, affordability. It means um, projects and availability. Um, many organizations lack the expertise uh, that's in-house, um, whether it's energy expertise. Um, and, you know, energy tends to kind of speak its own language. So if you grow up in a different industry and different focus, it can be really difficult to translate your business language to what is needed to understand how to procure energy. Um, and, uh, and even some of the experts when it comes to global businesses get hung up on the regional uh, complexities with, uh, with, with uh, 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 regulation and, uh, and taxes. And so can, it becomes very convoluted and difficult. And we're talking about billions of dollars for some organizations. So there's a lot of money on the line and they have to get it right. So there's sort of a lack of expertise in-house um, on something that's really quite important to their goals and, uh, and their financial uh, investments. Hey, Trinity, so, yep. a question that's come up. If you take a look, the poll results have been published. Ah. Uh, Savannah is asking, hey, she's curious to know more from the folks, uh, but the other challenges and what they're facing in renewable energy goals. Uh, and then Kevin is saying, hey, he's trying to stick with standard practices and avoiding risk, possibly a, what is that, a fill off? Sorry. Kevin, can you say your question, please? Say it more clearly, quickly. Yeah, sure. Just uh, wondering if, um, you know, in, in C-level decisioning, if uh, sticking with a standard uh, process or, or a standard way of doing things um, or and avoiding risk, is that kind of what's slowing down transition and transition to renewable energy or cleaner energy? Uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, thanks, Kevin. I appreciate that. I think uh, one of the main prior problems that we're seeing is uh, uh, the lack of expertise, but also the lack of data. Um, the data exists kind of all over the place, particularly for large organizations. And when they're trying to ascertain, is this affordable? Can is this a, How can I accomplish this? How do I set a plan? Just getting to the data to start that process can be a two-year journey. 
Um, and for a global company with a lot of locations uh, in a non-digitized format, you can imagine how difficult that can be. And by the time they get there, it changes. So the really long portion of the process uh, is kind of upfront and slowing things down. Um, in addition, it's, it's finding who can help them on this journey if they don't have that expertise um, and, uh, and, and kind of what that process looks like. And uh, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of risk and uncertainty and, uh, and kind of in a, a speed or acceleration that's kind of required based on some of the timeline for these commitments. So I think it is a, a few things kind of simultaneously. One of the other challenges is really in, uh, in organizations as they kind of consider their renewable goals uh, and align those with our carbon policy and, and where, uh, uh, where they can actually kind of um, uh, make moves and inroads. And oftentimes this is where um, unbundled RECs comes into the equation. Um, but with net zero goals in particular and the additionality requirements, it becomes even more complex for them. So they're really what I'm finding is a lot of them trying to figure out what, what is the way to make this happen and affordable, particularly for uh, small locations um, uh, shared buildings, um, uh, certain regions are really particularly challenging, and, and that's really the, that's really kind of what we've been focusing on. How do we how do we address those challenges simultaneously? Um, and I think you're right, Kevin, because really we need to think about it in a different way, right? We have to think about uh, how do we how do we kind of uh, recognize the momentum and capture the momentum of the moment uh, with these two challenge areas and buckets at the same time. How do we unlock sort of the opportunity of, of, uh, of, of corporate uh, renewable goals and, and carbon goals to help with the grid expansion investment that we need? Um, and this is really where our focus has been. Uh, a lot of organizations have told me, hey, Google's got some cool things, but how do I use those? How do I bring those together? Because I'm still just trying to figure out that front end problem. And that's when we really kind of started working towards what can we do and how, do we, what, how can we build this ecosystem to streamline that process and think about it in a different way. Thanks, and Trina. So, yeah, go, no problem. Let's go ahead and open the floor and get some feedback, uh, continued feedback from the group. And folks, if you're new to the show, we always start with kind of a group discussion question. box <laughs> That we'll continue to follow up with. Um, when you share, please share your name and your 30 second share very briefly. And, or you could raise your hand and uh, we'll reach you that way. And Trinity, take a quick look while I'm finishing this to at, at the poll results and see if there's anything you want to, to bring forward there. And if folks, if I call on you and uh, you you don't have anything to say, you can just say pass. The point is to be interactive uh, in the discussion. Um, okay, with that, uh, Gus, can you go ahead and put in the uh, group discussion questions? And Trinity, anything on the poll? Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's interesting to see on here the uh, the makeup of how um, you, organizations uh, here are buying and or selling uh, renewables depending on where they are in the ecosystem. But uh, a pretty significant amount of RECs, um, PPAs, VPPAs is kind of kind of on the lower side, which kind of is, tracks for some of the things we've been talking about um, through your utility. Uh, so, and uh, a pretty significant portion here of other and unsure. So, um, so interestingly enough, this, uh, this does kind of track with what we're, what we've been seeing and why we've been trying to make this a little bit easier, um, bringing new renewable energy into the region, uh, into the grids, uh, where you're procu already procuring, um, through aggregated buyer demand and, uh, and remote sensing. So, um, and was there any other questions or thoughts from the group? 
Yeah, no, we've got... Uh, Hi, sorry, yeah, yeah I'd just like to hop in here. So just to introduce myself, my name's Tara and I work with Platt. So I'm a price reporter, actually. I'm coming from more of the pricing angle and I cover the hydrogen and ammonia market at S&P Platts. And what we usually try and do is bring transparency in terms of pricing and hopefully affordability to these markets. And I think my main question to kind of get, I guess, the ball going is what specific commodities are you looking at with your low carbon energy? Is it kind of hydrogen and ammonia and the different production pathways there? Or are you looking at more low carbon produced kind of gas? So kind of what specific commodities are you, Trinity, and then I guess everyone else who's interested in renewables what energy are you guys sourcing well i think there's two two sides of that so for um for our for our carbon policy that is i don't know if she's still on but that would be something for savannah for the solution on how we kind of expand the ecosystem to other organizations we don't it, that's aligned to those organizations policies right and we're just trying to open up the access and the ability for them to accomplish those goals um, through automation and aggregation. So, uh, on on my side of the equation, we're not uh, we're not identifying what type of energy needs to be sourced. That's actually part of the process, as we map facilities um, and supply chains with uh, leveraging geospatial and remote sensing and building footprints. Then we then then our partner Ren goes in and really aggregates them. It aligns that with another partner we have called Electricity Map, which identified the grid carbon intensity. And ultimately to, those things together allow us to aggregate buyer demand to bring the development to those regions um, and affordability across multiple different sizes and, uh, and facilities and locations, et cetera. And so the alignment of what is being procured is aligned to those organizations within that bundle. That makes sense. I'm, Thank you. I'm happy to jump in quickly and just answer the, the Google specific question if it's helpful. So we do yeah. believe that a, a large portfolio, you know, a diverse portfolio of energy supply is important. There's a lot of research that shows having that diversity is really the only way of getting to true net zero grids. Um, and so we, for our own goals, we incorporate, of course, the traditional renewables like wind and solar. We're looking a lot at geothermal. Hydrogen is definitely an interest, um, an interesting area. We're really focused on the low carbon um, hydrogen, so really, you know, green, green hydrogen, and figuring out how we actually track and validate that it's green. Um, we are open to biomass in certain regions, but again, it, it, it that can be kind of a, a spectrum. So we're really trying to figure out how we can validate low carbon options, nuclear, we're also open to incorporating into our portfolio, which, you know, that isn't the case in every region necessarily. But, you know, again, having those clean firm base loads like geothermal and nuclear, we know are going to be really important to get to a true 24-7 uh, carbon free grid. That's, uh, that's a great point, because um, that uh, ability to validate the carbon intensity and, um, and the claims is so critical for a lot of the carbon policies and what energy is available in those regions uh, has a lot to do with um, the risk associated uh, with making those decisions in those regions. So that's interesting. Hey, Aaron. Aaron, would you share uh, your question? Give it a little context. Tell them who you are. I, I made some comments on why the transition with, to renewable energy was taking so long before. And, uh, you know, a lot of that just happens to do with, you know, the tariffs going cross state, you know, are you in a competitive market or otherwise? Um, then Arizona, one of the, the solar capitals of the world, I mean, 
APS, you know, they're, they're taking one RFP a year, I believe for new solar projects, you're looking at as an investor or a developer, you're looking at selling power back to them, probably at like three to five cents a kilowatt hour. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the incentives that were really good about 10 years ago are starting to decline in solar. Um, furthermore, battery energy storage systems are massive investments. Um, you know, meanwhile, so your options are either photovoltaic or CSP. CSP is really nice in the desert, but you need water because uh, you, you need your steam generators. Right. So there's a huge water consumption requirement. Um, yeah, thermal energy storage also is, is really nice. But then um, the second question I, I asked was, uh, I believe to Savannah, for, for your guys' purposes for hydrogen, are you interested in you know, the mobility market for your fleet, or are you more interested in, in using hydrogen to, to generate power? Yeah, or, great question. I, I would say we're uh, more focused right now on the, the power generation um, aspect okay. of hydrogen, just from the scalability standpoint. We are focused on, I would say, more electrifying our, our fleet, for example, of vehicles at data centers. So likely, you know, just given how much progress has been made in the EV markets, that's a bit of a, mm -hmm. a quicker um, transition for us there. Okay. Thank I you. think you're also speaking to something that is, you know, in various areas we're, we're working on, which is how do we, how do we identify what's appropriate from a site selection perspective based on sort of all the multiple parameters, right? That's a, that's a data and machine learning problem and uh, pulling in a lot of the, um, the time series data we have with earth, earth observation and the climate models um, that we've developed uh, across the different parts of our portfolio. Um, and, and trying to identify kind of what is the best, um, what is the best option here based on all of the characteristics. And those are big data problems that, uh, that we continue to work on. And the more organizations that do this with us and the more data we have and the better the models get. So one of our guests, uh, Kevin has a uh, geothermal plant that he's uh, going to be making here pretty soon up in uh, Nova Scotia area. And uh, his question was, how hard is it or how transferable is how it? How to kill all mosquitoes in the area in 90 seconds. Nice. We've got a video playing back there. <laughs> how straightforward is it to uh, uh, in North America to purchase RECs? Can anybody answer that aspect? What, what do you mean by straightforward? Kevin? Yeah, I'm just, uh, well, I'm, I was curious, uh, how accessible is the market? You know, is there is there yet a, a market where there's, you know, traction or regular trading ECs going on? Or is it always like a direct transaction if someone's acquiring an unbundled uh, REC? Yeah, there's different, um, there, there are different options and different marketplaces, but what's becoming particular that where it's becoming more and more accessible, but I think where at least where I'm seeing and I unfortunately Savannah ha has to drop off, but um, I, I, we can ask a follow up from her perspective or if anybody else here has a perspective, but what I'm seeing more and more of is because, um, because there needs to be that verification component. And there needs to, it needs to be really tied to the, you know, the consumption as much as possible, um, or to their direct supply chain from a net zero perspective. Uh, it's becoming, uh, it's it's less about the accessibility of being able to procure them, and more about um, uh, the confidence in what they're procuring and how they're how it's being retired, 
um, and, and all of that kind of front end expertise that I mentioned. So, so we've yeah, got so the automotive side in here. We've uh, talked to people from um, uh, the engineering side. We've also got technology owners in here. Uh, any questions from you guys? Um, I'm real curious about uh, some of the different types of uh, collaborations that you've had to put together uh, to bring your stuff to market. Anybody out there, you can raise your hand or you can you can speak up here. Innovation is obviously a, a really big thing. And, uh, you know, I guess, Niha, this would be a good time if you could tell us just a little bit about uh, how Google goes after innovation in this clean energy space. If you could share a few words, maybe that'll... Uh, sure. There is uh, there is many different sort of ways that Google goes about it as a whole or Alphabet goes about it as a whole. I'm here because um, I work at uh, X, the Moonshot Factory, which is Alphabet's uh, innovation lab or an R&D lab. It's, it has many different titles. Um, and I work in an early stage climate tech project. So uh, we have a really interesting approach, which is to take a mantra of falling in love with the problem and not the solution. Um, and the use of energy is one of the largest contributors to global warming. So it's an area of, of deep interest and deep focus. Um, and X is developing clean energy um, generation solutions, grid scale uh, storage solutions to really decarbonize the energy sector. Um, so there have been X projects which have now graduated and left X to become their own companies and they're looking at harnessing uh, heat from geothermal energy, storing excess energy um, in salt. So lots of innovative approach holistically. And uh, really it's about really seeking deep understanding of problems that affect millions of people so we can find and explore creative ways um, to help solve these things through breakthrough technologies. So it's, it's a really unique way to, to tackle these problems. Yeah, thanks for that. Thanks, uh, Any uh, feedback um, with regards to putting these ecosystems together, these partnerships? I know we've got several companies here. Maybe if somebody wants to share how they've they've come together uh, in this ecosystem. John, this is this is Steve. I might have a question that's actually even more basic than that, sure. and that is, I believe there's probably got to be a lot of companies out there that recognize the challenge, want to become carbon neutral and all of that good stuff, but maybe they just don't know how to start. They don't know yeah. how to begin the process. I'm curious as to whether or not, you know, Alphabet has found something that they might consider a good, the best practice, or for those that want to get started on the journey, how, how should they go about doing that if they have no clue as, as to how to start? Well, call me. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's exactly what we've really tried to tried to focus on with this ecosystem. So, thank you so much for that question. Um, uh, what we often found is that people uh, were, "Hey, you guys are doing amazing, innovative moonshot things. Those are super cool, but that makes me feel a little bit like you're on Mars and I'm down here trying to just get started, right?" And uh, and so we tried to figure out how to streamline that process for organizations. So we, this ecosystem of partnerships, um, our, our perspective here is we're gonna simplify it for people that are just getting started. 
We're going to kind of walk them through some of these partnership relationships. REN Energy is one of our primary partners here. Um, but basically, the, in the simplest of terms, we, we get your location data and your supply chain data through a collaboration with you. We, we uh, leverage geospatial and other uh, solutions and tools to uh, understand your carbon intensity. Um, your energy consumption and your, your carbon makeup, if you will, associated with your scope two or electricity uh, emissions. And then REN helps you uh, help by packaging and kind of mapping your facilities and packaging that with either organizations in your supply chain or other organizations um, through their platform to, uh, to, um, uh, to, to unlock economies of scale and make it much, uh, much faster and more automated and, and, and more accessible and frankly, more cost effective. Um, and, and really handholds that process by integrating it into the organization's carbon policy. There's a lot more to it, and that's just sort of the tip of the iceberg. But in general, um, we've, we've really tried to simplify that process for non-energy companies with these big commitments to be able to go through it and, and, and really accelerate that journey. Because we don't want it to take five years just to get to a place where they're ready to start, right? And uh, and so that was really using remote sensing, using using machine learning, and using Ren's platform and, and a little bit broader ecosystem of partners. We're able to do that, and so, and it's been successful. We've helped uh, uh, you know helped organizations get on that journey and and starting with uh, starting with where they are and hopefully ending in twenty four seven. Neha, you might be able to answer this, but uh, Leonard was asking about what kind of technology readiness levels were achieved in this kind of projects. Sure. So just as that context, if this was something that NASA developed, the TRL scale to assess maturity levels for technologies as they go to market. Um, and it varies. I don't think there's one answer here. Um, X, you can think of as an incubator of tech and um, technologies can leave X at various TRL levels, just depends on what the market availability is like. So I think for the two projects I referenced, they were you know, a relatively advanced and de-risked um, versus a lot of things that X is now doing in climate could potentially leave X at an earlier stage, just given where we are in the world. So it's so a no, no one good answer for that. Right. You know, Zoe, I was hoping that uh, I know you're coming from the money side or the venture side. Uh, could you share a little bit about uh, we need these techs, but we need a lot of money and we need uh, support in, in making this happen. What, what are you seeing out there? Um, I'm, I'm starting that role this week, so I, I think I'm going to say, ask me again in six months. <laughs> if anybody else, anybody yeah. else uh, got an opinion on that, uh, that's obviously a very important part. We had a banker join us earlier, but he's had to drop off. Um, any other comments? Yeah. I'll just comment real quickly, John. Um, we have a lot at Google. We do have a lot of startup accelerator um, programs, and uh, and I think uh, particularly around climate and innovation, and um, and I and you're we're seeing more and more of them out there. And I, I think the biggest thing that is the most important from my perspective is there is money. How do we unlock that money to the the solutions that uh, that have e efficacy and viability? And um, and there is sort of a gap from a uh, an expertise perspective, uh, because we're talking about things that are new to a lot of people. And so how do we really enable um, uh, the understanding of solutions that are, are really solving a problem or a need um, and, and helping people understand climate? We don't want to, uh, 
we don't want to make so much noise around innovation that that there's just uh, a, a lot of uh, a lot of stuff going everywhere. But we do want investments in the places it's needed and um, and helping people understand exactly what those markets look like and where where help is needed is, is I think, the biggest challenge right now. Uh, Dr. Ravi Fernando asks, uh, does Google yet have the services where they would establish the root solar capacity given the coordinates? Um, uh, do we, do we have the competency? Uh, yes, we have, uh, rooftop solar is, uh, is available, um, for, uh, for other solar. It's, <clears throat> it's possible. Um, we don't have an, uh, an open API or a uh, solution that's readily available, but yes, it could be done. Thank you. Uh, any other questions with regards to that? We have, uh, uh, folks from uh, technology side, Tom. I, I, have, a, I have a question, John. Yeah. <laughs> Just by way of introduction, hi. My name is Clyde Nebo, current second year MBA student at MIT. Hey, Trinity. Uh, thanks to the Google team on, on this great conversation today. I'm also the CEO and founder in Net12, um, a climate tech SaaS company looking to help companies manage their sustainability goals a lot more efficiently through our SaaS products and services. And we speak to a lot of corporations that, you know, as Trinity mentioned, aren't, aren't really sure how to get started. And we ask the questions about infrastructure. What kind of infrastructure are you looking for? And we hear we hear things like data analytics to even understand the market. We hear other things like carbon credit inventory management. So like once we purchase the carbon credit, understanding that there's a life cycle tied to that um, and, and understanding how to efficiently manage that process. And I guess my question is more to, Niha, not maybe you deal a lot more with hard tech, deep tech um, uh, startups. I don't want to assume, but from an infrastructure perspective, what are you seeing that companies are lacking in this space to, to even get started or once they're started, uh, their journey to become more net zero or to reach net zero? Um, I think from the early stage sort of startup landscape, X is a special place because we're incubated within Alphabet. Um, so we, you know, have the privilege of all the infrastructure available to us via central team. So um, yeah, I don't think I'm the, I have a lot of specific information on that one. Uh, I think um, that in in response to that, the biggest challenge for for the corporate side, the corporations. Do you think, Clyde, or are you are you referring more towards the um, towards the startups themselves? Uh, more from the corporation's perspective. Yeah, the, I think honestly, the biggest challenge is uh, is expertise and data access, right? If you're a big giant data company or a technologist, you have uh, you have a foundation, and that is a critical foundation to um, to to being able to accomplish these goals. And a lot of organizations, while they might have an IT arm, they don't have an IT arm that's uh, that is has expertise in this area, and so they, there's a gap. Morgan, did you have a question? I'm sorry, Clyde, did I answer your question? Yep, you did. Thank you. Morgan, do you have a question? Yeah, I was just going to lend a perspective on that for a minute. Um, Co-founder of Rand, partner of Google, uh, we work directly with a lot of these companies um, who have set commitments to get to 100% renewable, oftentimes in the next decade or less, um, but they make shoes or shirts or pants. Um, they don't really understand energy, let alone emissions. Um, but their energy demand is massive. Their emissions are massive. Oftentimes, once we total it up, 
it's equivalent to a medium-sized country worth of demand. Um, so a lot of them are, are pretty scared. So the question that you ask is, is really relevant. It's something that we're hearing a lot uh, lately as well. Um, where do they start? They start now. Um, and a big part of that is just getting access to what does this look like? Where are all their facilities located? Where are their supply chains located? And what does the energy and emissions for all those suppliers look like? Um, so I know that you know we, we've been talking a lot about aggregating demand, um, but really that's because you know for a, uh, uh, any particular corporation, um, you know, call it uh, Gap, they have thousands of suppliers across dozens of countries, and each of those suppliers is in a contracted facility that they maybe share with somebody else. That energy demand small in itself, but across all those facilities, it's quite big. Um, so really a key unlock is to figure out where are all these suppliers located, um, but then how do we bundle them up so that we can actually make this attractive to developers that can actually bid on these projects, that we can actually get steel on the ground to cover these emissions with real renewable energy sources. Yeah, really I love well. that. Thanks, yeah. thanks, Morgan. Uh, Bill, you've got the last comment and then uh, maybe Trisha, we've got. Sure, I, I work with Trinity and I'm more customer facing and I work uh, mostly with the oil and gas industry. And you mentioned, well, how do you get started on an energy transition uh, strategy? One of the challenges, these companies really don't know where they stand today. And I work with scope one and scope two emissions. I am dealing with thousands of Excel workbooks for different types of EPA reporting, factor-based, optical gas imaging based, uh, remote sensing based, SEC releases, just factors everywhere. And it's trying to understand how all this conflicting information fits together. So what we're doing is we're developing data structures so we can basically create a sen uh, authoritative set of data for all these different types of regulatory reporting and also set them up for reporting uh, through the greenhouse gas protocols. So step one is understand where you are today. Yeah, that's a great point, Bill, because it, that also speaks to the verification piece. It's not just about verifying the recs and where you're procuring, it's about verifying that you're hitting the goals based on really understanding. And then doing that within the context of what you're required to do uh, makes it that much more complex. So sure. Leonard just says something about H2 leaks uh, and can they be mapped? Can you map the H2 leaks around the world? But I would love for Bill to take that one. You know, we, we do a lot of work with remote sensing from satellites, UAVs, aircraft using spectrometers and LIDAR. Uh, for example, uh, methane has three absorption lines in the shortwave infrared. They're also within the IR range for hydrogen leaks as well. I did read a peer reviewed paper. Uh, frankly, if a customer would ask for it, I wouldn't think it'd be too difficult to go in and develop an algorithm uh, to pull basically emissions to leaked uh, hydrogen data, uh, leaked hydrogen from uh, uh, satellite imagery or aircraft data. It's also related somehow to, in agriculture to the breakdown of nitrous oxide that's part of the, the cycle. When you have excessive hydrogen, it changes the dynamics of nitrous oxide. Now we're getting into all different uh, aspects of the energy industry, but all really relevant to the innovation that's needed and how we expand and have uh, accessibility for uh, lower carbon energy, um, regardless of where it's located. Right. Thanks, hey. Krisha, I'm sorry if I scared you away saying the last comment. If, if you want to share uh, your question, go for it. No, it's good. Thank you, everybody. And uh, Morgan answered my question. It was around um, how REN is uh, helping to aggregate that demand. So he answered it. It was awesome. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you. Krisha. So, so last word, Trinity. Sorry, I actually do have a final question, and this yes. is towards Bill. So you said you're more customer-facing, and this is kind of a basic question, which I guess is the core of energy transition, but... 
and I guess banks, people who work at banks will be able to comment on this more as well. But in terms of, okay, yes, there's a lot of um, capital, there's a lot of funding going around. But if, for example, from a product development side, it is at the end of the day, just cheaper for you to use, for example, gray ammonia over blue or green ammonia, how on earth are you going to persuade any product developer to take on the more renewable um, energy source if it doesn't fit in with their finances? Well, the ROI is a big, uh, a big part of the problem. Uh, where I have some direct experience, geothermal. Uh, we're working with a lot of oil and gas companies for repurposing uh, uh, basically marginal or shut-in wells or former gas wells that are, are based in hot rock. Mm-hmm. And uh, high capital expenditure to bring this in, but what's the value of the electricity? How much more are will customers willing to pay for for a kilowatt of clean geothermal opposed to nine cents per kilowatt in Texas uh, for a, a fossil fuel-based one? So I think it really comes down to the business case. We're also doing some work with uh, sustainable aviation fuel. There's a premium, it costs more to make it. How much are the customers willing to pay for that extra logo? And that sort of determines whether or not these projects get started uh, based on the business case. But it has to be verified 100%. That's a, it's a, the differentiated commodity space. And once that, once that happens and you can verify it across that value chain that's a lower life cycle, then that sets a, that sets a competitive precedent, right? And that's, that's really the goal. Thank you. Make, make it easier for them to make those deci- uh, those decisions. Right on. Trinity, yeah. any, last, yeah. any last words unless uh, there's one more comment we run up against? Um, yeah, I, I mean, just from my perspective, uh, it's a great conversation as always. I would love to, um, I'd love to hear from anyone here if there's aspects of this process or journey that you want to share your perspective, your insight, um, something that's missing or help that you need or something that you've created from an innovation perspective, we'd love to hear from you. Again, this is about an ecosystem, uh, expanding the ecosystem, making it easier for everybody to uh, to get to get uh, to accomplish these goals. Um, and uh, and if they accomplish their goals, we'll get there and accomplish ours as well. So thanks very much, John. Really appreciate yeah, it. Thank you, Trinity. So, folks, how was the uh, expert talk today and the discussion? We've just turned on the poll. Take a few seconds now and complete that. It's really important to us. Today's post-show notes will hit your inbox a little bit later with information that you need and some products like the attendee contact list and more. So check out the single show membership and membership plans and find the right one for you. Two important announcements. Hewlett Packard Enterprise is partnering with FTE. We're super excited. We're launching a new thought leadership channel called Solving Problems with AI. And it kicks off on May 16th with guest expert Dale Brown, who's the global head of AI sales and machine learning. He's going to be leading the discussion on, well, if AI is the future, why do so many of those projects fail? So don't miss that. May 19th, FTE welcomes special guest Lorenzo Simonelli, CEO of Baker Hughes. Limited seating and sponsorships are available. Stay tuned. Registration details are coming up. Next up on From the Experts, May 2nd, Siri Noor, co-founder and CEO Abhijit Amnanders, leads the discussion on decarbonizing the aviation industry and why hydrogen is the right solution there. With over 2,000 members, 20,000 followers across 25 industries, the FTE network is growing fast, thanks to you. So please check out our library, our expert content, and all of this is available to you on our YouTube, Apple, and Spotify channels. Register for more shows like this one on our website at fte.network. Folks, we're out of time. So thanks again, Trinity, and well, all of you from the experts on the FTE show today. Thanks very much.